Welcome to the Beware the Moon podcast. My name is Hannah, and I am the host of this podcast. I apologize for the horrible recording quality on my last video that was my first recording uh, on this computer using the system that I like to use. So I forgot to do the audio setup, which means my audio was recording through my headphones and not my microphone. So I've got it fixed. Way better now. Apologize again. Uh, but today we are actually talking about a movie that came out as of right now, five days ago, came out February 9th of this year. It is called Lisa Frankenstein. And this movie is a horror comedy and I have seen it twice already. I'm recording this literally it just, the clock just turned midnight. So it is officially now February 15th. And I've seen it twice already, and it's only been out for five days, basically. That is how much I like this movie and how much I wanted to do a review for it. Um, it did poorly this weekend. They're blaming the Super Bowl. I also think the Super Bowl is partially at fault. Um, I also think uh, the universe as a whole is partially at fault. Um, so this movie, like I said, is a horror comedy, and usually horror comedies are given kind of the cold shoulder, um, and I think it's because it's really hard to strike a good balance between horror or comedy. Films tend to, you know, they tend to pick one or the other and forget the other exists entirely. This movie does not do that. This movie does lean more towards comedy, but it doesn't forget that it is also a horror movie. And it is darkly comedic, I would say, which I find thrilling. And I would say uh, as well that, you know, when I do a review, I always watch the movie once. At, I mean, obviously, I watch it once. And that I try to be as organic as possible. I want it to be just, you know, feeling through the movie, just a genuine reaction. And then if I like it, um, because this podcast is so small, I can still do what I want. I don't have to do requests. <laughs> Fuck them. Uh, so I really only do movies that I like. Um, the biggest issue with that, though, is the second time around is when I make notes. And that's when I really pick the movie apart. I decide um, what I like about it, what I dislike, if I like it more than I dislike it, my reasons why, all that sort of thing. So I have to watch it twice in the theater, and usually when I'm in the theater, I don't get to make notes. Luckily, I went to a middle-of-the-day show today, and I went to a dine-in show in the middle of the day. So I was literally the only person in there, and I was like, fuck it, I'll just whip out my, my phone and take fucking notes. So I was very excited about that. Um, this movie is worth watching at least twice. Um, I think my first time I'm genuinely reacting to the jokes, to the chemistry between Catherine Newton and Cole Sprouse's monster, um, to the other characters in the film, um, and, and I, I recognized right away that there were some themes, right? So my second watching is me delving into those themes. What do I think of them? Do I think they're good themes? Do I think they do a shit job of putting the movie together? That sort of thing. Um... I will talk about the themes of this movie after I do the spoiler section, um, so stay tuned for that, but I will say that I liked this movie. Actually, the target audience for this movie was me specifically, so if you don't like it, uh, I'm not sorry. That's just how it is. I was the target audience, clearly we're not the same person, it's fine, but don't shit on it, because I fucking loved it. It's a good movie. 
I think the writing is excellent. The acting is excellent. I think the sense of humor in it is really balanced. Um, it's not like a rid too ridiculous, but it's also ridiculous enough for the situation that it makes sense. Um, and I think Cole Sprouse's physical acting in this movie really ties well with the comedy. He just he just brings a certain gravitas to the monster that is it's just perfect for what this movie is aspiring to be. And I will say that there's definitely a universe out there where they tried to make this movie and it failed miserably because they just didn't get it. Um, and not the people, but the people making the film. This could have very easily been a very shitty movie. However, they did an amazing job. I think uh, Diablo Cody, she wrote a really excellent script for this. It's a really fun story. It's a really fun concept. And then Zelda Williams, who is notably the daughter of Robin Williams, she directed it. And she seemed to just understand on, like the vision of this movie, I think. Personally, um, there's just amazing stuff in this movie. And this movie doesn't exposition dump uh, in a boring way. It, it's really good at, like, showing rather than telling. It's, some of it is, you know, kind of explained out to you, and then some of it isn't. Um, but I think it's, it's loads of fun the first time around, and then the second time around, I enjoyed myself just as much. Like, I was watching an interview with Cole Sprouse and Catherine Newton, who were on, uh, with Dead Meat James, and, I was, I was just loving their chemistry there too. And I was like, damn, I really want to see the movie again now. <laughs> That's how good this movie is. I would say for this movie too, there is a slight trigger warning. There's mild sexual assault. Not that that is a thing in real life, but I mean, in the movie, it's not explicit, right? He grabs her boob, puts her hand on his cloth, clothed crotch, and that's the extent of the sexual assault. So if that would bother you, don't see it. For me, it's very mild. Um, maybe it would have bothered me if I wasn't on my, uh, my happy pills, I guess you could say. But um, just, a, just a fair warning out there for anyone who gets triggered by that stuff. And that's it for the non-spoiler section. So now it is time for the spoiler section. Buckle in, y'all. And the movie starts off with this, like, getting ready scene, and, you know, I, it doesn't explain things out to you, so I'm wondering, like, these girls are clearly, like, very different, they look very different, and I'm like, what's their deal, why are they getting ready together, uh, one seems very preppy, and then Lisa seems very Lisa, and she is very Lisa, and the preppy girl's like, one I one, you know, Miss Hawaii, blah, 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 and immediately it kind of puts you on guard with this character. You're essentially like waiting for her to go full mean girl at some point. Um, and she never does. It's revealed that she's a cheerleader. She's won all these beauty pageants. She's Miss Popular at school, but she is always kind to Lisa. Um, and that I think is really important for the story and how it's shaped. Um, this girl's named Taffy. Um, she's Lisa's stepsister and she is super, super nice and stay super nice throughout the whole movie. But in the getting the ready scene, she tells Lisa that, uh, you know, she can, you should use my tanning bed. You, you know, I, I've always said that I would get help the, 
you know, use the prize for those in need and you are in need. So go use the tanning bed. So Lisa goes to the tanning bed in the shed out back and it electrocutes her. And we know that because in the next scene, Taffy's like, I'm really sorry you got electrocuted in the tanning bed. I didn't know it would do that. And she's like, you know, it's fine. And then here comes the trailer scene where she's like, you know, are you hot for anyone? She's like, how are you like, first she asks, you know, how are you liking school? And she's like, well, it's pretty much the same as my old school, um, which is definitely a cop-out answer, but it is what it is. Um, that's kind of part of Lisa's character, but, um, it's really funny because that's when she's like, are you hot for anyone? And she's like, well, there is one guy and the trailer makes it seem like she's hot for (laughs) the fucking creature already who hasn't even been resurrected. But no, she actually has a crush on a guy at school, which I think the trailers do an excellent job of hiding because it's such a important part of the story. And I also feel like not knowing this piece going in, it, it just, it, it gives the movie more flavor. Uh, it would have been revealing too much, you know what I'm saying? Because I was like, what is this movie about aside from they're just going to murder people and take the parts that, from them that like he needs? Because that sounded kind of boring to me, regardless of the fact that it's, you know, a love story or whatever. So this, this extra character, this guy at school adds this, some spice to it, right? So Lisa's talking to her sister and it's so funny too because the dialogue in this movie is just so funny and and it's such a like ironic unironic funny and it just like it they play it totally dry mostly you know so she's like you know does he have a basketball tie body or like a football body and she's like he doesn't play sports he's cerebral and Tavi goes he's in a wheelchair and it is the best. And then we just fucking transition to the party they're going to. And I fucking love that. But before that, it should be noted, too, that Lisa talks about, um, you know, she mostly hangs out in the graveyard. And she does, you know, wax rubbings of all of the tombstones. But then she also says, you know, I have a favorite. Um, you know, I sit there, I'll draw, I'll talk to him sometimes. And that's when we get the trailer line of, that's weird, Lisa, (laughs) which I love that. But then Lisa responds, I just don't think anyone should be forgotten. And that is super, super deep, super sweet, I think. And then we go to, that's, you know, then she's like, you know, cut to the party, you know, and we've got, um, we've got madness, 80s madness at this party. It is such an 80s party. And I don't know this because I lived through the 80s, but my mom lived through the 80s and she went to a lot of 80s parties back in the 80s. So from what I know from her, this is a pretty accurate 80s party. I mean, you've got people hanging out drinking, hanging out doing drugs, hanging out smoking, doing whatever the fuck the guys in the Letterman jackets are doing. Uh, and then, and then you have people who are spiking drinks and giving them to other people. So it's just like, it's a ton of 80s shit going on. Lisa immediately goes for the Pepsi. Uh, Taffy immediately gets swamped by her cheerleader bros, basically. And it is, it's so funny because (laughs) they're sitting there talking and the one sister is like, so what happened with Lisa? What's her deal? And 
Taffy's like, you know, I, I can't say for legal reasons and personal reasons and also because I pinky swore, but you're my cheer sister, so I can trust you. And then the cheer sister she's saying she can trust gives this nasty, like, hiccup, burp, vomit sound and is like, of course. And it is so funny. Just like the timing of it. Like I said, a lot of this movie plays everything dry. So it's not like there's like a laugh track going on. It's just like ironic, unironic humor. And I, that's that's my jam. So then uh, Taffy explains that Lisa was at home with her mom and an axe murderer came into the house and uh, Lisa was able to get away because Lisa's mom like sacrificed herself eventually or, or essentially and uh, was chopped up and Lisa saw the whole thing through like a closet door she was hiding in um, and it really traumatized her like she didn't speak for a couple of months afterwards we we later hear from Lisa herself that she was diagnosed with some like post trauma mutism basically she didn't she just couldn't talk she just didn't want to and then the cheerleaders are like so her dad like what's his deal basically and she's like oh Dale's a sweetheart like he's great he met my mom you know like six months after the murder and then a couple months later they were married and it really works out well because then Dale didn't have to be sad for long and Lisa got a new mom right away and someone goes that's so sweet and she's like yeah it worked out well and I think that this is like a big theme in this movie and again we're going to talk about the things I think are themes at the end I just want to point it out this is a theme in the movie big neon sign so we we also get this scene at this party where Lisa's drinking like a Pepsi or something and the guy she likes comes up to her she doesn't know it's him because he looks excellent. He doesn't look like the nerdy type that she was envisioning. So he's like the editor of the school newspaper and picked her poetry. She submitted some poetry to publish in it and he picked her poetry. Um, so they have a conversation about that. And she's like, you like my poetry? And he's like, yeah, I wouldn't have published it if I didn't like it. So they're talking. He's chatting her up. She's like, obviously, like, very shy and nervous. And I don't know, like... You don't really know this guy's intentions. Like, he clearly knows Lisa's nervous. I don't know if he's just enjoying the attention or if he's flirting with her. It, it's kind of hard to tell. Because he does chat with her on, like, a quote-unquote intellectual level. But that could just be the way he talks. You know, you just, you don't really know because you don't get to spend a lot of time with this character. But as him and Lisa are talking, this other girl comes over and she's like this goth chick and she offers him a drink and he's like what is it and she's like oh it's just you know it's a, a drink and you know I would offer you some but you don't look like you drink and Lisa is like hi Tamara and she's like how do you know me and she's like we've had a couple of classes together and she's like this year and Lisa's like this semester and she just goes oh bless and it's just so fucking funny <laughs> to just say bless in an awkward situation to get out of it like that's fucking genius and I have to use that now it's so good but uh she's like Lisa it doesn't seem like the type who would drink so Lisa not wanting to be uncool grabs the cup and chugs the whole thing 
and there was some kind of like acid drug in the drink. She immediately starts tripping and it's so cute because Taffy notices her stumbling around and rushes over and is like, Lisa, did they give you something? And she nods and she's like, Lisa, this is not what I expected from you. You have so much potential. And it's so funny because it's like, okay, mom. And Taffy really is like the only character who treats her well. Like I said, she's very nice to her. Honestly, she does kind of treat her like an out of touch mom. Not that I'm thinking about it. Just like a well-meaning mom who doesn't know what her kid is going through, Um, which is super sweet of Taffy because she herself is a teenager going through some shit. And it's honestly a lot better than what anyone else is offering her in this movie. As far as other living, not unalived, unalived human beings go, I would, I guess. Uh, But yeah, so she's tripping. Taffy goes to go talk to uh, Michael and Tamara, which Michael's the editor guy that Lisa has a crush on, and she's, like, reaming them out, and freaking Lisa stumbles into the house, and she's sitting behind the sofa and up against it, and this kid approaches her, and he's like, it's me, Doug, from Science. We're lab partners, and he's like, why don't we find you a place to sit, and already I'm like, "Mm mm-mm, oh no, this is not, this is not the vibe, this is not happening, So he takes her into a room in the back of the house and she immediately goes for the the trash can because she just starts puking. And he's like, wow, you know, you okay there, kiddo? And I just, the second time I watched, I was like, why does everyone fucking call her kiddo? Again, another theme. We're going to talk about it at the end. But he's like holding her hair for her while she pukes. And he literally says to her, your hair feels like Easter grass. Easter grass. That's like the least romantic thing you could ever say to someone. Like I, it, it, it's, it's so weird and awkward to say that to someone. It, and just, it's not, it's not complimentary. And I guess it's not necessarily like negative, but it's just a weird fucking thing to say to someone, especially someone that you're like kind of macking on. So fellas, uh, learn a lesson from this podcast, uh, if you're taking anything away today, take away, uh, don't ever tell a girl her hair feels like Easter grass, because that's fucking weird. Also, a side note that I, I, I want to bring up, because I love it, is that this school's mascot is the possums, and that is so fucking funny to me. Like I said, it's ironically, it's unironically ironic, like, it's just so good that their mascot's the opossum. Because, like, as they're walking down the hallway, the varsity jacket guys walk are walking down the opposite way. And they're, like, the one... They're carrying something, like, that is their mascot, I think. And the one guy goes, moo. And he's, like, that's not what possums say. He's, like, that's for cows. And literally, I had this conversation once when I was younger where me and... I was pretending to be a possum, quote, unquote, hanging upside down on my friend's bunk bed. And I was, like, I'm a possum. And then I was, like, wait, what do possums say? And she was, like, I don't know. And I just randomly decided that they say ooga because, like, what else? Also... Uh, when I got older, I was very disappointed. They do not say a wooga. They usually hiss with their mouth open and, like, drool dripping. So, that's not nearly as fun. Very disappointing. Anywho, after she's done puking, she sits on the bed 
and he sits with her and then this dark version of i can see it clearly that song i can see clearly now the rain is gone you're welcome apologies also but you're welcome for my singing um but it starts playing this like dark version of that song and i fucking love it it's so good and atmospheric um and like i said at the beginning with the trigger warning he just touches her boob over her shirt and then he grabs her hand and puts it on his crotch and he's like you can't stop what you already started lisa those are the rules and like (laughs) you're not fooling anybody lisa stumbles out of there because she's like ew gross and she had previously stated that there's a shortcut from this house to their own house through bachelors and bachelors grove is like a cemetery for specifically unmarried gentlemen which is the shittiest fucking thing and i have done no research into it to see if like a bachelor cemetery was a thing or not and i don't really care because it sounds like a legit thing that they would have done back in the 1800s like there's probably a cemetery for spinsters to you who who the fuck knows but from back in the day like it it just is what it is so lisa this is the cemetery lisa spends time in so she stumbles her way out of the party and there's lightning going on we had this some some girl had previously mentioned she thinks it's gonna storm so lisa stumbles through and finds um cole's bust the bust of his character and it's like it's so sweet because like it's a bust of him atop this tombstone that says unmarried and most of the name on his grave has fallen off so it just ends with ein and you're supposed to assume it's frankenstein i just simply labeled him ein in my mind because calling him the creature or the monster for the whole movie just didn't really seem to fit because he does horrible things right like murder is not okay but at the same time like he he's not he's not a monster he knows what he's doing he's capable of feeling things so my in my head i will i have dubbed him ein and we're just gonna call him ein for the rest of this review if you don't like that sorry not sorry again so she she sees his bust and she's like oh it's you and she had given him her mother's rosary because she was like when i wear it it's morbid so i want you to have it maybe it'll keep you safe so she sees the rosary sees the bust she's like it's you and she's says to him i wish i were with you and clearly she's talking about she's talking about wanting to be dead okay the the trailers made it seem like she's super into him even though he's fucking dead and i'm so glad that that's not the case like that would have been a different movie and maybe that movie would have been good but like that's not the case for this movie thank god the movie we got in this universe of this idea is really good because she's like obviously talking about i want to be dead life sucks everybody's shit i just want to die so then she stumbles on home smashes the mirror in the bathroom and falls asleep in bed so then that night and I'm not really sure if it's whatever Tamara had in the drink or what, but she has this trippy fucking dream with, like, she's in a silent film, so it's, like, a silent film-style movie with, like, a full-body bust of Cole Sprouse's character, Ayn, and then 
her in some weird old silent film getup, and there's this thing about the moon with a bullet in his eye. And I knew that this moon with the bullet in its eye, it's from a silent film. I wasn't sure which one. I had to go look it up, and it's from a French one by... I'm gonna fuck this name up. Georges Melies? Melies? Yep. That's what you get. Sorry. Fucked it up. Um, But that is so interesting. Like I said, this movie has really good writing. It is a very specific film to put in this very specific movie. And I will elaborate on that after I explain the whole storyline and, yeah, talk about the themes. So, she has this weird dream about it. Um, and it's not a bullet in the moon's eye. It's actually a capsule. Um, which, again, we'll talk about it at the end. But she wakes up uh, from this dream. And it's so funny because Taffy wakes her up and is like, hey, my mom's pissed about, like, the mirror. You should probably go downstairs. She, downstairs, you know, she's having a fit. And then she takes the covers off of Lisa and Lisa's hand is in her pants and she just, like, gasps and pulls the cover back over. And Taffy is so funny. She's like, it's okay, man. Like, we all do it. <laughs> she's like, everyone does it. Like, it happens to everyone. And it was, it's just so funny. So, she's like, you know, what happened last night? And Lisa's like, I tripped. And she she's like, yeah, uh-huh, sure, you know, because she knew she went off with a boy and her knees are red. And she's like, yeah, same here, you know, which, hmm, hmm. So downstairs, Janet, who is the stepmom, is actually having a bitch fit, freaking out, just so, oh my god, gosh, I'd want to slap that lady in the face. She is, like, it's, I want to pretend like women, like, her and moms, like, her don't exist, but they totally do, and that's the reason I want to slap her. Like, if this was just some caricature of some insane villain who just has no plausibility to them, okay, whatever, you know? But there are people like this, and that's what pisses me off about it. So, she's pissed, um, about the mirror. And man, it is just so horrible. Nobody treats Lisa seriously. Like, Taffy is nice to her, but nobody listens to her. Nobody gives a shit about how Lisa is feeling, how Lisa's processing, what Lisa is going through mentally, physically, emotionally. And I think that's a big point in this movie. Like, it doesn't just matter that you're nice to people. People want to feel listened to. People want to feel understood. Um, and I think if that had happened, Lisa probably would have gone down a very different path. Um, but anyway, that really important. The important takeaway from this scene is that Dale, the dad, who, who Lisa is his biological daughter, is super disinterested in all things involving Lisa unless the stepmom is pissed about something Lisa does or Taffy pulls him into it. So that is very strange to me. Um, and I think upon my second watch, I kind of realized like Lisa just wasn't the daughter he anticipated and not the kind of daughter he wanted whereas Taffy is. So he's way more interactive with Taffy. He's way more um, involved with Taffy's feelings. Like, he gives a shit how Taffy is feeling. He laughs with her. He talks with her. He's proud of her. 
Lisa doesn't get any of that, and it's because she's clearly not the daughter that Dale wanted. Um, he wanted a cheerleader, I guess. I don't know. Um, I would rather, I would, I would like to say too, I would rather unalive myself than have Janet as a nurse or a mother. She is literally the worst. Like, as bad as Dale is, he's just, like, disinterested. He's not, like, a dickhead on purpose, you know? He, he hurts Lisa in a passive way, whereas Janet is actively, like, this girl needs to go to the loony bin. And Taffy's like, you work at a psych ward. Are you allowed to say things like that? <laughs> Which, fucking good for Taffy. But in the end, um, it's decided that Lisa has to pay for the mirror. So she's like, I'll pick up an extra shift at Wayne's, which is apparently a seamstress shop. And she's there and Michael comes back in, which is Lisa's crush. And he's got a quote unquote juice stain on his jacket on the inside and wants them to fix it up. And I just want to say real quick, (laughs) I had this thought the second time watching it. I was like, it's kind of disappointing that they didn't have Dylan Sprouse play Michael because that would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> like, it just would have been gold to have Dylan play Michael while Cole played Ayn. And that that just... it <sighs> that That's probably the universe in which this movie is perfect. I don't know. But this movie has very little flaws as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but in that universe, it's probably uh, it's probably perfect. But anyway... Um, Michael is kind of flirting with Lisa. Lisa's clearly enamored with him. Um, Tamara, and like, okay, I want to say Wayne is so fucking rude to Lisa. He's like, oh yeah, I can always count on Lisa to have extra shifts. She never goes out on dates, probably because she's so flat chested. And you're like, wow, this man would be so like sued. Unreal. But as she's talking to Michael and Wayne's talking to them, Tamara comes in and uh, interrupts. And clearly Tamara also is into Michael, um, which it's funny, it's revealed he's not into her. Or maybe he is, I don't actually know, but I don't think so. Anyway, as they're leaving, like, Michael's like, okay, see you later. And Lisa's like, bye. And then Tamara, like, gives a wave and then a quick middle finger at the waist level. Like, it's so good. Just, like, the physicality of it is so amazing. (laughs) and also very B. Uh, so that night, Lisa gets home, and the family's having dinner, and there is no pizza for Lisa. Apparently, Lisa's a vegetarian, um, and is it, like, I'm wondering, like, is it because her mom died? She had to watch that, witness that. Probably would be horrifying to eat meat for a while, if not forever, after you've seen something like that. But, uh, Jana is a bitch and ordered meat lovers, like, a ton of meat lovers, like, extra fucking meat, so Lisa can't eat the pizza, and it is so, I'm like, what a bitch, and then, uh, Lisa, the family's like, oh, we're gonna go out and see a late showing, blah, 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 so we're all going as a family, and she's like, I am just tired from work, like, I really don't feel like it, and Janet's like, how tiring can your job be? You're just sitting at a desk hunched over like an old lady, and, like, wow, motherfucker, I just want to hit her so hard in the fucking face. (sighs) So anyway, Lisa is like, I really don't want to go. And Taffy basically like covers for her, plays interference, is really good to her and convinces the fan that it's fine if Lisa stays home. 
So they leave and Lisa's home alone and she's watching... Oh, fuck, I forgot the name already. I just Googled it. God damn it. All these Living Dead movies, man. There's like way too many of them. My favorite is Return to the Living Dead, so I always remember that one. Um, but this one... So she's watching Day of the Dead, which is super fucking interesting because it's the first zombie movie basically in American culture that has a zombie with emotions that shows a zombie with thinks thinking skills and feeling and problem solving so it, it's very purposeful that they put that one in there right so she's watching that here's something on the front at the front door um, goes over to call 911 just in case and something busts through the window. She's so shocked. She drops the phone and then it starts moving into the house. So, so there's like this really fun like chase sequence that goes on and you can't see any of Ayn's face, um, but they're outside. The sprinklers go off and that's kind of like assumed that it clears up some of the mud on his face. So when they finally get back inside, she goes to call 911 and there's someone on the other phone like, on the other end of the phone already, and it's because he's got, I guess her dad got a shoe phone from being subbed to Sports Illustrated, like, subscribed to it, and that is so fucking funny to me. (laughs) I don't know why it's so fucking funny to me, but it's fucking funny that not only is he subscribed to Sports Illustrated, but, like, his daughter is very aware of it. Like, that is so damn funny. And maybe he didn't even do it for, like, the swimsuits. Like, Maybe he did it for the shoe phone. (laughs) Kind of seems like that could be the case. But anyway, he's like, he's confused about it. Trying to, uh, trying to figure it out. And like I said before, the physical acting that Cole Sprouse puts in is absolutely insane. Um, if I didn't have the shit that he did, my hips would be in so much pain. I would need to be on ice every, like, after every fucking take. Like, I would not be able to handle more than, like, 10 minutes of filming a day and Cole Sprouse is two years older than me so I don't know how he fucking does it but it's insane um so she finally figures out that he's not trying to murder her and eat her so she's like she brings him upstairs and just in case like her family gets home and she's like you know just chilling with him up there and he walks over to the rubbing of his headstone and he points at it and points at himself and she's like that's and she's like huh you know and so then he he makes this god-awful sound to stretch his hand out to get into his pocket so he can pull out her mom's rosary and she's like oh it's you and she's like why are you here and he grabs her hand to kiss her hand and she's like oh okay like you know, for you sort of a thing. And she's like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. When I said that I wanted to be with you, I meant that I wanted to be dead because the world is horrible and full of jerk offs or whatever. So like, I don't actually want to be with you. And he starts crying (laughs) and she's like, no, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And that's when she's like, you know, seen from the trailer, your tears smell horrible. (laughs) So, um, after that, she takes him into the bathroom and is like, here's some soap. And then he grabs whatever he wants off the counter and it happens to be a douchebag. And she's like, uh, no, that's, um, that's a douchebag. <laughs> it's so good. And like Catherine Newton's deliveries in this movie, line deliveries are so fucking funny. <laughs> like, honestly, this, like I said, there's a universe in which this movie doesn't work at all because the actors don't understand it or the director doesn't. But like, 
everyone was super, super, like, they're just great. Everyone is just great with this one. So, anyway, she essentially shows him, like, the basics of showering, and it's so funny because she's just, like, hot, cold, turn these on, water, and then she makes a motion of it, like, coming out of the shower, and she's like, shh, it's the future, and it's so funny because he just is kind of like, huh. So he goes in and he showers we get a cool like visual of blood run or uh, dirt running off of him and there's a worm in the shower and i feel like the bugs in this are kind of like representative of something some progress maybe that he's making i'm not sure i'm not entirely certain um but i feel like they're very significant markers in the movie also a fun side note is that she has a shower radio and she's like, this is Taffy Station. It's for beer slots. <laughs> and that's the best thing ever. So then we get the fun outfit scene that we see in the trailers where he's trying on all these outfits. Um, and it's super, super funny because she's actually the one who wants him to be in the pink robe. And he's like, ah. Uh. So then she finally picks out an outfit for him. And then afterwards, he's she's brushing his hair and notices his left ear is missing. And so, you know, he, he kind of motions at his ear and his hand, like, you know, can you fix it? And she's like, I'm not a doctor. I can't help you. Um, but she's like, you know, there are lots of people with disabilities who are missing things. There's this guy on this popular show called Days of Our Lives who wears an eye patch and she, he doesn't let it define him. And he's, she's like, he basically asks for his name somehow because he doesn't talk this whole movie, but you know, she's like, his name is Patch. His name is Patch. <laughs> and it's so good. Uh, so then she suddenly hears the, the moment's broken up because she hears her family coming home. And so she like shoves him into her closet and goes downstairs. And of course, Janet is pissed about the mud on her carpet, the broken window. Lisa had also thrown some of her precious moments figurines at Ein as he was like stomping through the house. And so she's mad about that too. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's the thing that pisses her off the most. But um, it's so funny because she's she's talking about how, like, Lisa needs to go away because she's mentally unstable, blah, blah, blah. And Taffy's like, we can't send her off to the snake pit. She can barely survive PE, which is, like, so good. Um, but as Janet is, like, ripping into Lisa... Um, like, you can see Ayn is listening upstairs, and he clearly does not like what he's heard. But also, it's kind of like, like, Lisa did not come up with a believable lie. Like, okay, the base of the lie is believable. She's like, a burglar came in, and he raided the china cabinets, which makes no fucking sense. But she's like, I, I fought him off, which does make sense, right? Like, you know, that would, that part maybe makes sense. And she says, so they're like, what did he look like? And she was like, he had a big matte black mask over his eyes. And he had a wide brimmed hat. And he was wearing a striped jumpsuit. And they're like, you just described the Hamburglar. And she was like, what? <laughs> and Janet's like, do you see what's going on here? And the dad's like, Lisa is hungry. And I'm like, oh my god, dad, you're the fucking worst. <laughs> just the fucking worst. But basically, Jana implies that Lisa got a lot of attention when her mom died, and so now she wants more attention and is doing this for that, which fucking go to hell, Janet. Um, 
and and we see two upstairs this is i noticed it um my first viewing towards the end but i noticed it here on my second viewing that the moon with the shuttle in its eye is actually on her door and it glows in the dark so that's pretty cool and it's on her closet door um where Ayn is and again that's all very significant thematically I'll talk about that at the end so in the morning she like knocks on the closet door and is like hey I need to go I need to get changed I need to go to school so he, he like offers her an outfit and she's like that's not really my style like I need to go in there and pick a you know an outfit and he just like throws it over her basically like you're wearing this and she then closes the doors on her and she's like can I at least have a jacket? So he throws a jacket on her and then he also drops the hat on her head and that's when she goes to school looking so fucking cool, man. And it's so cute. I noticed this on my second watch, but the second Taffy sees her, she just fucking grins. Like, she's so happy to see her sister, like, just fucking showing, man. Just, like, being herself. And I'm like, aw, Taffy. And she's the one who says, if she had congeniality, she could do pageants. Which, like, I what like yes and no man I don't know it and she says it though like so sincerely that it doesn't strike me as mean um like I said she's like genuinely happy to see her sister like fucking showing so at home Janet is in like a workout outfit like your 80s um video workout outfit your typical 80s video workout outfit and I it's it's something. But she's there listening to bullshit self-affirmations about her kindness and her selflessness. Like, on her Walkman or whatever, as she's, like, walking around doing stuff. And Ina's, like, walking around behind her. And this, the first watch through, I had so much anxiety. Like, I was like, Ina, what are you doing? Like, you're being so dumb. And he is. He, like, goes and plays the piano. But she's got the headphones in, so she can't hear him. And, and like, the other thing was, I was like, is he going to kill her or is he going to get found out? Because I was sure it was going to be one of the two. But she ends up answering the door and it's a salesman. She steps outside to tell him off. And while she does, Ayn goes over to the cottage sheesh in a bowl she's eating and fucking, like, mama birds a worm into it. Like, a living worm. It is so fucking good. <laughs> he mama birds that shit. <laughs> Oh, and then she puts a spoonful of cottage cheese in her mouth and she fucking eats, like pulls it out. It's so fucking nasty, that worm. I would literally die, literally die. We cut to Lisa at school. She's by her locker. Michael approaches her and he's like, hey, do you have notes? Do you happen to have notes from White's class I cut? And she's, she's trying to be cool and she's like, yeah, I was going to cut too but, uh, cause I hate that class, but, uh, I, I think I took some notes and she took a fucking ton of notes. And it's so funny cause he says to her at some point, you're kind of absurd, aren't you? <laughs> and I just fucking love that. Like she is such an absurd character, but that's like, I don't know, to me, it's very charming. Um, so then Taffy shows up and is like, I'm super protective of my stepsister. You know, I want her to make friends with the right type of people. And he's like, to define is to limit says Oscar Wilde she's like well Oscar the Grouch said scram and I was like damn that's such a like dumb preppy girl thing to say but also it was pretty funny so then you know 
Taffy gives Lisa some half-assed affirmations that she means well, um, but they definitely come off as half-assed and asks her to cover for her because she's like, I'm going to go do something tonight, like a party or something, which later we find out she was not at a party, but she's basically like, can you just tell dad I'm going to be okay? Because Lisa's like, well, your mom's going out of town, so it's really just dad. And she's like, well, Dale's always really worried about me, so if you could just cover if he asks. And she's like, yeah, 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 sure. So then that, that evening, Lisa talks to Ina about Michael and is like, you know, do you just have to put on a weird pirate costume and men start noticing you? And then Ayn just makes a sound and she's like, wow, okay then. And then Ayn once again is like motioning to his hand and his ear, his missing hand and his missing ear. And she's like, I told you, I can't help you with that. You're a dead man, not a Chrysler LeBaron. And that shit was so good. <laughs> I laughed so hard. And the first time I watched this was, like, again, at a weird time for a showing. And there was only three people in there, including myself. So it was awkward. But also, I was like, I can't fucking not laugh. That's such a good line. Uh, and after they, like, have a talk about that, Janet shows up just in time, uh, basically, um, first Janet's, like, telling her she's gonna go off to a fucking psych ward. Um, and just in time, our boy, Ayn, uh, busts her fucking head with a sewing machine. <laughs> and, like, you definitely feel like she deserves it, because Janet is, like, an irredeemable character in this movie. Like I said, the dad just, like, nonchalantly, like, he just hurts her passively, whereas Janet like, attacks her, assumes all these things about her, is such a bitch about her, and she definitely is a certain type of person. Like, when, when something traumatic happens to someone, um, you get different types of people, and she's definitely a very specific kind of person, and I think, again, this, that kind of ties into the themes of the movie, which we will get to at the end. But, like, Lisa gets slapped in the face by her, and she's like, you're going away for a long, long time, which is not cool with Ayn, for obvious reasons. Um, But after he hits her with the sewing machine, the way he fucking drops it is so good. Like, it's just good physical comedy. And a lot of this movie is good physical comedy. Like, any scene that Cole Sprouse is in has a lot of good physical acting to it because he's so expressive even with the prosthetics on and it it is practical makeup that he's wearing so even with that he's just I don't I don't know how he does it he's just so very expressive um but after she's like she's on the floor bleeding he pulls out some scissors and bends down and cuts off her left ear um and he and it's got a diamond stud which I think is important because it comes back a little bit later as like a just like a small thing, but also because he looks good with the diamond stud. Um, and also Janet apparently is very proud of her diamond studs. Um, so when he doesn't get rid of that, I just love it. Um, she's like, he offers her the ear and she's like, I can't do that. Not until we bury the body. So then they go out and he puts her in his old grave and Lisa asks him, is it peaceful down there? And the way he fucking shakes his head no is so damn funny. And then Lisa, like, happily is like ha <laughs> kicks some freaking some dirt over into the grave and it's just it's so good so then we get the scene where she's sewing the ear on and the way he has to curl up in her lap is like super adorable 
And then she's like, hey, can you hear anything out of it? And she's like, testing, testing. And he's like, I don't, you know, he shakes his head. No, he can't hear. And then she's like, huh, dead meat. And I was like, fuck yeah, dead meat. If they don't fucking use that in their opening, if they don't add that to the opening of the fucking podcast, of the fucking channel, I'm going to be so fucking sad. Um, but he drew, like, she's like, nothing that's so disappointing. She's like, well, at least it looks nice, you know? You can have something for looks. But then he draws a bolt of lightning on her hand. And she's like, oh, you need electricity. And suddenly the tanning bed makes sense. So they go out there and she shocks him a little bit. And it's every time he gets something added to him and shocked, he becomes a little bit more human. Like his limbs are less stiff um, that kind of a thing. His physicality is less creature zombie Frankenstein-esque and it's more normal. So they both yell when it works and the way they're yelling, it's just so ridiculous. So then the next morning, Lisa comes down and again, she's looking bombed. She's got, um, she's got Taffy's clothes on and she's like, you said sisters share, right? And she's like, yeah, you can totally wear that. And she's like, you look deadly, Lisa. And Lisa's drinking out of this bottle and her dad goes, is that Sherry? And she goes, no, it's Lisa. <laughs> and I literally, every fucking time, I just love that. I fucking cracked so hard the first time though. And Dale is so ungrateful for the dad joke, that little fucking bitch. Like, if you're not a, if you're a dad who's not into dad jokes, like, you're getting your dad card revoked. I'm sorry, you can't be a real dad. And then, like, just to show how much he doesn't listen to basically anything regarding Lisa, Taffy's, like, complimenting Lisa's outfit. She's like, half the school is headed to Boner Town and they don't even know it yet. Right, Daddy? And he's just like, yeah, right, sweetie. And I'm like, how much of a dick face bitch fuck could you be? Um, also, why would you say that about your daughter? Anyway, as they're leaving, Lisa's like, what happened to your neck? There's, like, a mark on her neck that's, like, clearly it's a hickey and she's like oh crimper accident which uh it's not a great excuse her uh hair is literally like pinned straight so does not work so at school lisa adds a note to a locker and this i was like obviously they want you to think it's michael's but i was like i'm pretty sure it's doug's and sure shit it's Dugs. She uses whiteout on her nails, like, to paint them, too, uh, which is fucking punk rock. I love that. Very cool. And Doug obviously agrees to meet. Um, they're at the park where Bachelor's Cemetery is located, and Lisa leads him into the woods. And he reminds me of the one villain from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. If you watch this movie and you've watched Buffy, you'll probably know which one I'm talking about, just right off the cuff. Um, he says to her, too, I don't think I've ever heard you talk this much. It's weird. Which, like, what a fucking chub. But also, that is, like, that's, like, a thing for this movie. Because no one fucking listens to her. So what's the point of talking? Um, 
and I think there's more to that. We'll talk about that at the end. He's clearly scared of bachelors, though. He's, like, talking about how it's, like, so unkempt. And he's like, it's not Christian. She goes, I agree. It's not Christian. And then gives the most excellent doomy eyes to lure him in. And, of course, he fucking follows. And she's like, hey, I want you to touch me. She stops at some point in the graveyard and is like, hey, I want you to touch me the way you did at the party. And he's like, ooh, I know you wanted it. I knew you wanted it. What a piece of shit. But obviously, Ayn isn't going to let him touch her. He grabs him by the ankles and pulls him down. And then Lisa is like pinned his hand to the ground and Ayn takes an axe and just chops it. And she's like, I told you I'd hold your stupid hand. And he lo- Ayn just looks at her and she's like, well, I thought it'd be a cool thing to say. And Doug tries running off. But Ayn throws an axe and hits him, and then he does the best little, like, celebratory, like, yes, like, fist pump, and it's so funny. And now we get to another, another thing that is interesting to me is that kind of the way you see their relationship progress, um, thematically. So before he's in her lap, now she's in his lap, sewing on his arm, and of course, he's, like, just looking at her basically while she's doing it um and I have to say the music in this movie hits so hard every fucking song in this movie every single place it's placed fucking hits um they put the she sews the hand on they go out back to the tanning bed to electrocute him which there's a slight continuity error I noticed the second time because he goes into the tanning bed with the goggles on and comes out without any goggles but just a minor thing um and it worked though um, he, he danced now. He's so excited. He smiles at his hands and it's fucking adorable. That shot is in the trailer and I'm like, it's just a good shot, man. And he's like, he's just adorable in this scene because he, he dances around with her and then like realizes, oh my gosh, I can play piano now. So he pulls her very excitedly back to the house to show off his like piano skills and he plays her a piece and she goes, was that Moser or something? And he like motions that he wrote it. And she was like, wow, you had a whole, you had a whole life before. And he kind of like makes gestures like you do too. And she's like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah. Which obviously the answer is no, but she doesn't want to tell him that. And then, and I, and it really sticks with Ayn. Like it's so fucking good because Ayn really is the only character that listens to her and, like, absorbs what she says. Um, so, like, you can tell he he understands, like, she's lying. But uh, he, he motions to the music that's on the piano, and Lisa's like, oh, no, that's Dad's. I don't play. He plays, but he hasn't played since Mom died. And the song that is on the, like, uh, up there on the piano is I can't fight this feeling anymore and as he's playing she sings and it's very like it's so good because it's like super goofy and dramatic like it's not supposed to be like a talent spotlight it's supposed to be just like a character spotlight and I love it and it moves him to tears and it's so good because she's like ah god damn it when you cry it smells like a hot toilet at a carnival and I don't know what that means but I feel it and it kills me so she pushes like a pillow over his face and the poor guy like it gives him a complex about crying you can tell but um she doesn't understand why he's crying um you know he's obviously moved because of you know the peace and like he's relating to it because it's about friends turning into lovers and so uh 
but she thinks he's crying over Janet and Doug, and she's like, you know, Janet deserved it, and, you know, Doug, he also kind of deserved it. She says that hand was going to do terrible things, and now it's a conduit for the talent of Ariel's Speedwagon. <laughs> oh, it's just so good, and, like, they say things that you could never come up with outside of a movie like this, but then, like, inside of a movie like this, it's fucking hilarious, and it works, right? It's just good. So, um... That night, Taffy comes home with some cheerleading accomplishment and wants to call mom because they think she's gone to Milwaukee for the weekend. Whoopsie doodle. Dale also wants to talk to mom. And Lisa's like, yeah, I want to talk to her too. But then, she, like, once Taffy leaves the room, she tells her dad she needs to go upstairs to her room because of a pop quiz. And he's like, I thought those were supposed to be a surprise. And she's like, oh, that's illegal now. <laughs> some kid died of a heart attack. Which is fucking hilarious because he doesn't question that. But then he notices her fingernails. And then we zoom in and we see there's blood under her fingernails. But of course, what he notices isn't the blood, it's the whiteout. And she's just like, yeah, it's the latest trend. Bye. And then goes upstairs. And it's so funny because she like opens the closet door and I'm sitting there and he like waves at her with a doll. And she's like, I don't play with dolls anymore. And like, he's clearly trying to find the you know, quote-unquote life she previously spoke of, but nothing is working. Like, pulls out the doll, I don't play with dolls anymore, pulls out a recorder, uh, and she's like, I played in sixth grade in the band, but, like, two weeks in, I got an infection in my mouth, and he's, like, like, drops it like it's on fire, and then he pulls out a a vibrating wand, (laughs) and is kind of, like, questioning it, and she's like, that, um, it's a back massager. (laughs) So then, uh, right at that moment, Taffy calls up and is freaking out. Um, and so, she, of course, like, Lisa sh- jumps out of the closet, shuts the doors behind her, and Taffy's freaking out because she calls all the hotels in Milwaukee that are Radisson, and none of them have heard of her mom. And so she's like, she could have been kidnapped, blah, blah, And Lisa's like, that's fine, she'll be back tomorrow. Um... And then she's like, Lisa, you have no idea how scary this is. You don't have to worry about anything because your mom's already been murdered. And like, what the fuck? But also, Lisa literally, it's so sad because Lisa just is like, yeah, you're right. And you're like, what? Like, I don't know. Like, like I said, Taffy's nice to her, but nobody fucking listens to her except I'm. Um... So then we cut to um, a scene of them on the bed and Ayn is using the wand to massage her back, actually. <laughs> and she's like, Lisa's like, my aunt Shelly gave that to me for Christmas. She said it might improve my personality. <laughs> and again, just like, oh, so fucking dead. Um, she offers to do him, but he declines. Um, so she's like, do you feel, it, like, it makes her wonder, and she's like, do you feel anything in your body? And he like, yeah kind of nods and she's like it must be uncomfortable sleeping in the closet and I'm like oh snap we get in the and there was only one bed moments let's fucking go and then downstairs Taffy is on the phone Taffy and Dale are on the phone with the police in Milwaukee and she's describing her mom and it's so funny like everything she describes is so funny but then she gets to the end and she's like crying and she's like yeah yeah she's a bitch (laughs) and I'm like well at least you fucking know uh so Lisa tells Ayn once again they're like laying on the bed now he's on one side she's on the other and she tells him she's stressed out so he pulls out the wand again like fucking immediately and she and so she's like 
you know, people don't always use that on their back. They use it in other places. And he's kind of like, oh, she's like, you can try it if you want. And then downstairs, we just hear Lisa go, oh my god, and the lights flicker. So who the fuck knows how that went. But they're sitting there afterward, and they're both drinking, like, kind of looks like iced coffee to me. But Lisa is like, after my mom died, everyone is, was in such a hurry to go back to normal. Um, and while she talks with Ayn, she plays with his hair, which is super cute, and she, like, rests her arm on his shoulder, and, like, she's just, like, expressing her feelings, basically, for the first time. Like, her mom died, and no one fucking wants to listen to her and how she thinks and feels, and she literally is like, you know, they say that time heals all wounds, but they're wrong. Time is the wound. It takes you further and further from that place where you are happy. And it was such, it's such a, like, it's such a good line. Um, and I think too, like, as someone who's gone through a lot of grief, um, and a lot of mourning just throughout my life, I've had a lot of tragic events. Um, even just this last week, literally my birthday was Saturday, Sunday morning, literally way early in the morning before dawn even, uh, my Nana passed away. So like as someone who has personal experience with tragedy and loss, like I just feel like that, that hits so deep. Um, it, it hits all the right spots basically. Like she fucking sums it up. Um, and, and it's not like, I don't know. It, it seems to me like because it was such a tragic, unexpected loss, um, and those are, and I've had that too. I had a best friend die in a car crash, um, and I've had family members betray us to the point where it's like, uh, you can't, you have to fucking leave the family, basically. Um, I think it's the kind of heartbreak that comes with tragic, sudden loss. Um, and I think too, like everything she feels is, it's just so good. Um, she's so like well-versed basically, even though she's never talked about her feelings, she knows exactly what she's feeling. And I think that's so cool. Um, but then she starts musing about how unpredictable death is and how she's not afraid, but she doesn't want to die a virgin. And then she looks at him and goes, did you? And he doesn't, he's like, he just kind of like is making non-committal faces noise and she's like excuse me i tell you everything <laughs> which i think is just like the funniest and then uh he he affirms like he you know once and he she's like oh did you did you love her and he's nods yeah and looks really sad and she's like i want to do it with someone i truly love like michael trent and he is like Ugh. And she's like, listen, anything could happen. They could put me in the clink for life or they could, you know, they, they're going to find out about these murders and then they could put me in the electric chair. And she goes, that's like a tanning bed for criminals, <laughs> a tanning bed for criminals. I was like, God damn, I did not think I would ever hear an electric chair described as such. Um, so she's basically like her plan is I'm going to throw myself at Michael and just offer my body to him. And she's like, what do you think, Ayn? And he makes a noise that is very not positive, but she takes it as such. And she's like, I love how supportive you are. <laughs> he is not supportive, y'all. He is not supportive. And then the next morning, like, she goes out to the car and Taffy is there. And Taffy, it's the first time she's not, she's just wearing sweatpants. Or she's just wearing a sweatshirt and jeans. 
which is not like Taffy. She usually is like super cute. So, um, she's like crying because she's freaking out. And Lisa's like, maybe I should drive. Yeah. So they get there and there's cops at the school and the cheerleader pack like rushes to Taffy, um, to like, you know, comfort her. But also they're like, oh yeah, the the police are here because Doug so-and-so might've been murdered. He never came home last night. And Taffy is like, this is just too much. I just need to go home and veg. And she, and so she's like, will you cover, will you get dad to call the office basically and say it's okay? And Lisa's like, yeah, yeah. And then she looks at her friends and goes, can one of you guys bring Lisa home? And they're all like, uh, uh, and Lisa, Lisa's like, don't worry, I will walk home. And she's like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah. So fucking, uh, Taffy goes home. Lisa is in class, the class she shares with Michael, and they're doing a roll call, and he's not there. And then they call Lisa out over the speakerphone and ask her to go to the office. And I, this is the first time you hear her last name. And her last name is Swallows. Her name is fucking Lisa Swallows. And I just hate that for her on so many levels. As she's leaving, some guy's like, oh, you know dress code violation he's like slut penalty and she literally pulls the gum out of her mouth and puts it on his paper and walks off and it's so good she gets to the office and Tamara, the fucking bitch who likes michael is there um they're like lisa do you know doug she's like he's just my lab partner Tamara confesses uh her locker is the one next to doug's and she looked at the note that lisa put it on doug's locker um and, you know, knows that they were supposed to meet up. And Lisa's like, he stood me up. But the police are like, there's witnesses at the park that put you and him basically there together. And Lisa says it wasn't her. And she's like, you should check check her, her bag for drugs. Like, to fucking switch the topic. And I was like, good for her. I hope they check Tamara's bag. But they fucking don't. Tamara says Lisa probably killed her mom and then Lisa fuck that's when Lisa fucking loses it they're they're about to like fist fight right in this office but a officer breaks them up and she's like I'm not gonna be answering any more questions you can talk to my lawyer and leaves um and then at home we get Dale leaving a voice message um which answering machines for you youngins used to be a box where you would call the home phone if you didn't answer it would beep and then the person would leave a message that usually was also, it was recorded, but it was also played in that moment and on, like, at that time. So, Ayn hears him talking, Dale talking, and he's like, you know, so-and-so says they saw your car over on such-and-such street, hope you're okay, you know, when we get home we can go blah 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 blah. Um, so Ayn just, like, springs into action and all of Ayn's outfits in this movie, I just want to say, are fucking great. They're all fucking good. I love his 80s outfits. I love his, you know, the 1800s outfits he wears. He just looks good in this movie. So, shout out to Cole Sprouse. Um, but as Ayn is trying to get in the car and take it, some old fella tries to stop him. Not because he's never, not because, like, oh, that's not your car. He's like, I've never seen you in this neighborhood and this is my neighborhood. And so I'm beats him up. It's kind of questionable too, whether he kills him, but I don't think so. And I'll tell you, like, he just, there's evidence that he only kills people that 
are basically involved in Lisa's tragedies. So he does, I don't think he kills him. He does take the old man's clothes, though. Um, and he takes them because, like, they're his style, like, more older fashioned than the 80s clothes, which, uh, R.I.P. Ein's cool 80s outfits. You are missed for the rest of the movie. Uh, again, like I said, he looks good in the 1800 stuff, the old school style, but <sighs> the 80s look, I missed it. Um, he pulls, he happens to pull up right next to Lisa, who happens to be walking to Michael's, and she's like, Michael was in a class, and when he cuts class, he either goes to Ricky Rococo's or he goes home, and his car wasn't at Ricky Rococo's, and I don't know what a Ricky Rococo is, but that is the funnest fucking thing to say. I might name my next truck Ricky Rococo just because of that. So, um, Lisa's trying to get Ian to drive her to Michael's, but he clearly doesn't want to. And she's, it, like, he pulls past the street, and she's like, there's probably an, she gets pissed, and she's like, there's probably an APB on this vehicle. You probably don't even know what that is. You probably drove one of those old school bicycles with the big one wheel. You did, didn't you? You did. I knew it. And it's just like, why are you hating on him? He wasn't even alive for cars. Just leave him alone. Um... But Lisa says, as they're, like, pulling through, he finally, like, does put the car back in motion to take her to Michael's. And as they're pulling up, Lisa's like, it's the one with the red vehicle out front. And I didn't notice that she said that the first time. Like, I did, but it didn't make sense. Um, but we do get a shot of the car from Ein's p- point of view. And, like, clearly he puts two and two together, but Lisa doesn't. So Lisa goes up to offer her body to Michael and she catches, um, them post the fact, I think. But before she leaves the car too, it's so funny because she turns to Ayn and she's like, you see, you you seem like you're happy about this, but you're not happy about this. And we're going to talk about this later. And I just love the way she does that. We're going to talk about this later. So fucking good. But yeah, Lisa walks in on Taffy and Michael naked in Michael's case, half naked in Taffy's case. Um, and of course, Lisa freaks out. She's like, you have everything. Why couldn't you just give me this one thing? And she's basically like, I would never, she's like, you did this on purpose. And she's like, I would never do that to you on purpose. Um, And I think she's right. Like, I was kind of expecting a flip here where Taffy's like, yeah, bitch. But no, she still is like, I would never want to hurt you. It's just he treats me different than other guys. And that's why I'm like, I like him. Um, And and she's like, he, he, most guys only expect one thing. And Lisa says, yeah, and you gave it out like a Pepper Ridge cheese cube. And I was like, fuck, that's so good. Uh. But then Michael is like, listen, it wouldn't have worked between you and me anyway, kiddo. And again, people fucking calling her kiddo. And after he says that, Ayn walks in and they're like, who the fuck is this? And then they're, (laughs) they were playing music softly in the background. Ayn turns it way up and On the Wings of Love starts playing (laughs) and he takes the axe, flips the covers off and cuts off Michael's dick and balls. And it is glorious. Like, the first time I saw this, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I was just too shocked to react. Then the second time, I was like, this is shot so funny. Like, you never explicitly see it, but you see the shadow of it flying through the air. And I was like, that is so funny. And then, like, now I'm thinking, like, can you imagine being the person whose job it was to, like, make that shadow perfectly, like, be thrown across the wall like that? Because it flies through the air and lands in a trash bin. 
And I was like, whoever did, whoever's job that was, you fucking rock. You're probably living your best life. Good for you. Um, but Ayn turns to kill Taffy and Lisa stops him. She's like, don't hurt her. So then Ayn leaves with, uh, Michael's dick and balls in the basket. Um, very clean cut by the way, Ayn, uh, to have like sliced it so hard and so cleanly that it just flies like that. So just amazing. Um, so Lisa leads Taffy to Taffy's car and she's like, I know where he's going and drives to the park. And then there's this really sad but cool and sincere moment where she thanks Taffy for being genuine. Like, she acknowledges Taffy is usually the type of person to ignore her, but she's like, you actually went out of your way to try to tell people as part of your family. You really actually wanted me to be your sister. And she's like, I am your sister. And then she tells, like, Taffy's terrified of her for obvious reasons. Like, Lisa knows this guy with an axe. So, like, now she's probably questioning the axe murderer that fucking killed her mom. She's like, did Lisa know that guy? Is this the same guy? She's probably got tons of questions. So, like, it makes sense that she's afraid of Lisa. But it's so sad because Lisa puts her mom's rosary beads over Taffy and tells her she loves her. Um, and then she grabs Ayn's axe, like, in view of Taffy and goes off to Bachelor's Cemetery. So, like, she's leaving the impression on Taffy that she's going to kill Ayn, which I think is very clever. And then Taffy leaves on foot. Obviously, Lisa does not kill Ayn. She's got the axe raised up like she thought about it, but she just drops it pretty quick. And when he, I just want to say, I noticed this is the first time, because <laughs> I was like, what's that bulge in his pocket? When he fucking dirts you can see like the taint of the balls in his coming out of his pocket and I'm like this means that someone actually bought like a full dildo with balls and stuffed it into Cole Sprouse's pocket for this scene and that is the funniest fucking thing to me and I love this movie for that um but she's she realizes like she says to him you love me and he like affirms it and so like she's like well why didn't you say anything like you know and he and he he like lets her feel his crotch to get her to understand why i didn't make a move and uh there's a big vacancy there shit is for sale that is free real estate down there um but now he has michael's junk and she he like shows her because she's like you don't need one of those to be a man we can do other things and then he like pulls it like it's wrapped in a paper towel but he pulls it or cloth or something he pulls it out and like hands it to her and she feels it and is like oh oh and then she's he's like excitedly she's like well yeah I can sew this on to you and he like ex grabs her and excitedly takes her back to his to their to the house and bef right before they do and this is why I don't think he killed the old man a cop shows up and it's like this is a murder scene. You guys can't be here. And I just picks her up and, like, drops her into his grave and then, like, grabs Lisa's hand and then walks off. And, like, it's very funny the way he does it. But also it's like, okay, so he probably didn't kill that old man, which is nice. Um, but then he, Lisa has to sew his manhood onto him. And it is so funny because he's trying to, like, do it with as much dignity as possible. Um, and it's just so funny. So then they go and they hit the tanning bed, come back, and you get a really sweet intro to the sex scene, but then you don't get the sex scene. You get, like, a love scene, 
he puts like a gummy ring on her finger and she does the same for him. And then it transitions into like an animation of them in their quote unquote silent film that you see earlier. First of all, I didn't mention this because I forgot, but the movie opens with a silent film explaining uh, Cole Sprouse's character, Ayn's life. Um, and then you get, she loves silent films. So when she trips out on drugs, she's seeing a silent film with him. Um, so then you get an animation of them in quote unquote, their silent film. Um, and they're writing the capsule that goes into the moon's eye and they walk across the moon and behind it. And that is super important thematically. I will talk about that at the end. When they're done, she says, you know, there's no other way. And he starts crying. They go outside. She gets into the tanning bed and tells him to turn it on to Max Bronze and also hands him a note. Um, and he reads it while the shed is burning and the note says, death is temporary. I'll love you forever. And you're like, oh, and I think his original plan, cause he pulls out a lawn chair and sits down while the tanning bed is on fire. And that's when he reads the note. But I think his original plan was to burn with her. Um, but there is a window there. So I think he escapes through the window cause they shut the front of the shed. And as it's burning, like cops are put, like fire departments pulling up to the house and everything. There's people walking down the street, like watching it burn. And this little kid just goes, bitching <laughs> and it's so good uh then we cut to uh the cemetery it's um taffy and dale the dad are at lisa's grave and she's like who left all these flowers and dale's like maybe a friend and taffy just gives him the most like are you fucking kidding me kind of look uh and he's like who knows it's probably some pervert weirdo you know blah 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 so she sets her own flowers down but clearly, clearly, excuse me, notices something there um, that we only get to see after they leave. Like, Dale's like, now let's go to your mom's grave. And it's so fucking sad because Dale doesn't even put flowers down for Taffy. Like, he doesn't want to spend any time there. Again, like I said, just a passive, dismissive, disinterested dad. Um, but what Taffy saw, which we get to see, is someone carved into the bottom right of this tombstone, beloved wife which I think is super cute. Uh, and then we cut to the park and Ina's on a bench reading Shelley's poetry aloud, not Mary Shelley, but her husband's poetry. Um, I don't think, I don't know how many people know that Mary Shelley is the writer of Frankenstein, but her husband was also a famous poet. Um, I, I think her fame out, you know, outstrides his now because of Frankenstein. Um, but that's what he's, he's reading his poetry out loud. And he wrote love poems to his wife. Like, it's so cute. Um, so he's reading a love poem and the camera pans so that we can see Lisa is lying on the bench in his lap, um, which is like super nice. Like they get a happy ending and we get to see Ina also has like a real wedding ring now, which I just love. I was very worried, like halfway through this movie, like once they started I think once they got the ear, um, I was kind of worried that this movie wasn't going to have a happy ending. Like, I was like, is she going to have to kill him? Is he going to, is he going to have to die? Like, are they going to have to not be together? Like, I didn't want that at all. So I think they ended it very well, especially compared to how I thought it was going to end. Cause I was like, I don't want him to like kill her just to resurrect her to get the, you know what I'm saying? Like that just would have been too dark. Um, 
and the movie is not supposed to be really dark. Like, it has these themes in it that are kind of heavier, but they're very, like, muted by the comedy of the, the film. And I don't know if that's intentional or if it's on purpose. Like, I don't know if Diablo Cody, like, maybe wrote this with the intent for it to be serious and then just was like, oh, fuck, it's fucking goofy. Like, I can't not make it goofy because I've done things like that. Or if maybe she wanted some themes to tie it all together and just was like, if I go too heavy on it, it's going to kill the goofiness and I really want the comedy. Like, I have no idea what, why it's so muted or if it's like Easter egg shit, like go and find it. But essentially, um, this movie has some really good, good things to say, I think. Um, not just (laughs) its humor and, uh, funny punchy lines, but also in, dealing with tragedy, um, and people in general. Like, Lisa is very much treated like a fucking freak in a circus in the 1920s. Like, she's just very much, like, on display for everyone. Everyone knows her. Everybody talks about her, but nobody talks to her. Nobody listens to her except Ayn. And I think it's very important, too, that, like, all of Ayn's parts come from some tragedy in Lisa's life. And I think because of that, there's a redemptive quality to their love in the end, right? Like, the stepmom just won't fucking listen. She's a bitch. She's horrible. She makes Lisa's life hell. He cuts off the ear from her. Uh, Doug physically assaulted her with his hand he takes that hand. Um, Michael doesn't assault her in any way, but he does flirt with her and kind of lead her on and then just is fucking her sister. Um, and who knows what his intentions are. Like, he's saying some stuff to Taffy in that scene that I'm like, "Mm, that sounds really cheesy and corny and made up. Like, you sound like you're just wanting to get some. Like, I don't know. So, I- but either way, he, you know, he physically breaks her heart because she's like, I want to do it with someone who loves me and who I love. And for whatever reason, she thinks that's him because he likes her poetry, because he talks to her, because he flirts with her. You know, it just is what it is. And Lisa, like for some people, it's like, whoa, that's way too fast to think like you love him and he loves you. But Lisa is also someone who is clearly starved for love. I mean, her dad is so disinterested in her. Quite possibly the only one in her life who listened to her was her mom. Um, However, there is a scene during the trippy moment where she's asleep and she has the dream where the mom calls her kiddo. So I think there's also this theme of people belittling, demeaning her, right? Like she's just a kid. She doesn't, you know, just dismissing her as someone who is overly dramatic um, or, or absurd as, uh, Michael says. And her absurdity isn't because of her immaturity, um, which I don't know. Like, I don't think she's very immature for her age or anything like that. Like, everyone seems to imply that she is especially immature for her age by calling her kiddo. And that's just not the case. Um, like I said, she's someone who's starved for love. She wants someone to listen to her. She wants 
affection. And uh, I think this is just a really beautiful portrayal of that, of wanting someone to love you despite your flaws, despite your tragedies, despite the baggage you have. Um, and she pulls up, I think, a really good point, too, when she's talking to Ayn in, at, in bed, you know, and she's opening up to him and she's like, everyone just wanted to get back to normal so fast. And like, she lost this huge pillar in her life. Like, your mother loves you. Well, I won't say your mother because I don't know whoever I'm talking to, but typically moms love you in a way that no one else can replace. Um, and she lost that very suddenly, very horrifically right in front of her eyes. She was there. She heard it. She saw it. She could smell it. Um, it was so traumatizing for her. She didn't speak for a few months afterwards. Um, and at, at like the point when Doug is like, wow, this I think is the most that you've talked. It's kind of weird. And she's like, well, I just felt like I didn't have anything to contribute, blah, 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 which is such a cop-out answer. But I think to a certain degree, it, it's, it's, it's masking that no one fucking listens. No one gives a shit what I have to say. Everyone just wants to cover over this tragedy in my life, this pain that I'm having, and act like everything is hunky-dory, which everyone experiences at some point. And I definitely think all of the key people in Lisa's life represent the kind of people in your own life when a tragedy occurs. There are people who are going to judge you. There are people who are going to belittle you. There are people who are going to be completely disinterested in how you've been affected emotionally and mentally. There are people who are going to tell you to suck it up. You know, you're being dramatic. You're being a wuss. You're just wanting attention like Janet does. And then there's people like Taffy who are nice to you and they're kind to you, but they still don't listen to you. They still don't like actually absorb what you're telling them. And even though those people are kind still and they're well-meaning, they are still not what you truly crave. Like, Ayn is clearly listening to her. Um, he absorbs everything she says. And I think that is, like, I've always thought, like, people just want to feel understood. Um, and that has since I've come to that realization, it's helped me a lot in my personal relationships. Um, I used to be extremely introverted. Um, and then when I understood that and started practicing doing that, trying to understand people, trying to listen to people, um, trying to interact with people and do all that at once in chemistry, um, and, and still be my goofy self. Um, uh, after I started practicing that, I think I really got into the habit of it and really understanding that. Um, people feel better when they think they've been heard, when they think they've been understood. That's um, why I'm very good at diffusing high tension situations. It's just what people, it's what people want. It's basic human nature. Um, and the only one who gives her that is Ayn. And even then there's stuff that, you know, Ayn doesn't know about her, doesn't understand about her, but he tr he tries. He's actively asking questions, even though he can't even fucking speak, which I think is super interesting as well. He's the, the only character in this movie that doesn't talk because, uh, you know, it's a fucking movie. Obviously, the characters are going to talk. But, he, you know, he doesn't talk f until the very end when he's reading love poems. And 
I think that's very telling as well. That's very symbolic. Like you don't have to be able to talk to communicate and you don't have to be able to talk to ask of someone, to want to understand someone, to ask what you need to ask in order to understand someone. It's just very like, and because Lisa, I think too, is also craving that, you know, wanting someone to listen to her. She's very good at interpreting Ayn, um, (laughs) except when it comes to how Ayn feels about her for... 90% 90% of the movie. But of course, that's, you know, if she notices right away, that's the end of the movie. You can't have that. Um, I also think it's less obvious when someone likes us, you know? Like, if someone likes me specifically, you know, I... Shit, I don't know. I don't even... I have to ask my friends, is this flirting? Is he flirting with me? I don't fucking understand if I'm talking to a guy and he says something to me. And they'll be like, yes, Hannah, that is very clearly flirting. And I'm like, oh okay, shit. I didn't fucking know. <laughs> and I think part of it is just, I, you know, I'm so unpracticed with flirting, but also I think part of it is just someone's flirting with me. That's fucking weird. Uh, that's, that's crazy, man. Whoa. But I also want to talk about the moon in the movie. So this moon with the capsule in its eye um, and it kind of looks like a bullet. It comes from this old silent French film by the by this old silent filmmaker in France. Um, and it's very satirical. So basically, the plot line of this silent film is the scientists get put in this capsule and it gets shot out of a cannon to the moon, lands right in the moon's eye. They get out, they search the moon, they find, you know, lunarites people who live on the moon uh, and they fight with them and they capture one and they bring him back to earth or her. They bring this this moon person back to earth um, and it's very, like I said, it's very satirical, um, very sarcastic, even though it is a silent film. It's just like, because it's so dramatic and grandiose um, and the scientists are so full of themselves throughout the silent film, um, it's poking fun at them. And then it's also poking fun of the fact that they don't understand these moon people. They don't take the time to understand these moon people. They just want to fucking kidnap them and leave and colonize the moon, right? So I think that's very telling, like I said, for this movie. Um, I need to rewatch the opening credits. I could not this afternoon when I went and saw it again. I was having trouble with my vision because of a new medication that didn't react with another medication I'm taking, so that medication will discontinue, but because of that, probably like a third of the screen was blocked out, and I felt very dizzy and very sick for the first five minutes, and then after sitting down for so long, I was like, or, you know, for five or ten minutes, I was like, okay, I started to feel better, and I started to see, but um, I think in that silent film it shows that moon for Ayn. And then also, of course, with Lisa and her weird dream, it shows that moon. But it shows it with two eyes. And then she has that poster on the, on the, uh, the, the fucking doors of her closet. But then during their, you know, their lovemaking scene and it transitions to the black and white stuff. Her and I get on this capsule and shoot it into the moon's eye and then walk off to the other side of the moon. So 
it kind of implies like they are these foreign alien things and they've been taken out of their away from their people essentially and the two of them because they are both these alien things and they found each other they fly the capsule back to the moon uh implying that they've found home in each other which i think is the symbolism there um i also what else was there symbolism from i think that's all i had on the symbolism for now i might fucking find more but the review's over so not gonna be i'm just gonna have to keep it all inside or maybe talk about it on stream who the fuck knows um i did want to point out obviously the crimp remark was a hickey from michael and it seems like taffy was sleeping with him even before they show up to that first party so yeah that fucking sucks um also i wanted to say that i think it's very interesting that lisa's like you know time takes you further and further away from the place where you were happy and then their ending is they're basically together forever now because they're both undead um so they both has essentially stopped time for themselves um and I, I don't think that's any symbolism. I just think it's interesting. Anyway, that is my official review of Lisa Frankenstein. A lot deeper than I initially thought. Um, it just so happened to be, like, I was driving home thinking about it. Um, I woke up the next day thinking about it. And I was like, I need to see it again to see if I'm right about these certain things. Which is, to me, that's rewatch value. I would love to see it a third time, honestly. Um, because it's just so good. Uh, I just think it's so good. Um, but I'd also, yeah, I'd encourage you to go see it. Like I said, it's a lot deeper than it kind of feels while you're watching it. It's more of an afterthought, the deepness and the themes and all that sort of thing. But it's an amazing movie, even if you're not looking for the deepness, even if you just want a fucking laugh, because there's a lot of good lines in this. And, like, I tried not, I tried to get, like, the ones that I found the funniest, but that's not even all of them. So, it's definitely still worth a watch. And, like I said, Cole Sprouse's physicality in this movie is so funny. Um, it is its own thing, and you definitely, you just have to see it to understand. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Very, thank you very much. Um, I will be getting another review out the last Tuesday of this month. Um, I also, let's see, what else? I also stream. You can find me on rumble.com as Beware the Moon Podcast, spaces between every word. Um, I stream just kind of frequently, randomly, usually later at night, sometimes every once in a while in the afternoon. Um, Sometimes you can find me in the morning because I'm still on from the night before. It just kind of depends. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Beware Moon. I'm not on there very often, but I'll eventually see it. Um, I also have a Discord. Uh, if you'd like to join me on Discord, there's going to be a link for that in the description of this video. Uh, even on Spotify, it's going to be in the link or it's going to be in the description. So thank you again. Once, thank you once again, excuse me, it's like 2am now. Thank you once again for listening, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate every listen you give, every watch you give, you know, tell your, tell, tell people if you like the way I review movies. Um, if you guys have, uh, have actual recommendations, things you want to hear me review. Um, I only do horror. So, uh, leave that in the comments, though, um, and 
Fuck. Have a good one, y'all. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.